0: Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, <laughs> thank you for checking out. Thank you for checking out the North Bank Media podcast. I am your host, Patrick Strevens. Joining me on the show today, Martin Vendram. Now, Martin, oh, I should say I was joking with him, or, so at least I was honest that I really didn't do much prep for this episode, Now I don't—I didn't know a thing about Martin hardly. We've only met a few times. Uh, but he struck me as somebody that should come on the podcast. You know, he's, he's got a day job, uh, and he is also on the side as an entrepreneur. So those are the kind of people that I immediately consider, uh, worthy to talk to. There's a, a real interesting perspective there. What I didn't know, uh, was a bunch of other interesting stuff about him. I grew up near Pen or er, born near Penticton, but did most of his growing up in France, uh, in a rural setting in France, uh, came back to Canada in 99, uh, served in the armed forces for over five years, achieved the rank of corporal after which he was honorably discharged, uh, became a heavy duty mechanic. And that's a skill that he picked up, uh, in the army. Uh, well, while, while still working as a heavy duty mechanic, he operates drone buzz, which, uh, he does aerial photography, videography, and surveillance through use of drones. Um, and that's how we met. We've done a f- some projects together. Um, so it was cool to listen to the man in his own words, literally trying to find out, uh, more about him that I didn't know. And there was some interesting details there and a great perspective on things. Um, and if you're, have been listening to the show, you know that I'm starting to probe these issues of social justice, civil rights, what have you. And, uh, Martin was more than willing to go there as well. So again, great perspective. And, uh, again, a good reminder for me just to listen to people's lived experiences and and not try and interpret them beyond what they're telling me. Um, I would say if you're listening to the show and you've been enjoying it or not, uh, that's good either way. Uh, please give us a, a like on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube, North Bank Media. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. That means a lot. Uh, again, as I've said, the invitation to be a guest on the show is permanent, in perpetuity, please contact me at Patrick at NorthBankMedia.com. In the meantime, please enjoy my conversation with Martin Vendrim. Martin Vendrum, thank you for coming on the show and making time to do this. This is much appreciated.
1: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, you were actually on my list as soon as I, because we were saying like Luke Bouchard, a mutual contact of ours, tried to connect us over a year ago.
1: I think so, because I know, I, uh, how did you deal with him in the first place?
0: How did I? <laughs> uh, I, went through, I went to a BNI meeting. Okay. And uh, he got sucked in that way, but no, I, I love working with Luke. But he was—he pointed me to you, and I think we both did the formal thing of like, "Oh yes, nice to meet you. Let's let, let's link up," and then.
1: And then yeah, and just get busy and
0: hundred percent get busy. And then nice, nice. pandemic and life life shifted a little bit. Probably well f- for me. I wonder about you. What's kind of your last year been? Has things Uh been, it's things actually
1: changed? Uh, no actually I thought it would dramatically. Mm-hmm. But uh, the business picked up pretty good, surprisingly. I thought everything was going to come to a dead stop.
0: Right. And then uh,
1: work was on the line for a bit, but so far so good. <laughs> we'll see what this year has to offer.
0: Right on. So your business picked up with drone buzz?
1: It did, it did, surprisingly. So, right on. I'll, I'll take that for sure. But.
0: Hey, absolutely. And so what I like about you and I'm inspired by is you've, you've got a nine-to-five day job. And you kind of have a side hustle or a a business that you run on your own. So what's your, what is your day job? Like what's, what's paying the bills for the most part? I was
1: paying the bills. eh? So I'm i I'm a heavy duty mechanic. Okay. I fix all the big highway tracks on the road. Right on. And then uh, I started that because I was, after high school, I was a soldier in the army. Oh, wow. And I, uh, that's where I learned mechanic. I signed up as a mechanic. I figured I can either pay to become a mechanic Mm -hmm. or I can join the army and they pay for me too.
0: (laughs) All the better. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm like great. And then when you're a kid, you know, you're impressed by army stuff. So I'm like, wow, I get to shoot guns and fix trucks. It's the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's epic. That's very manly. That's wicked. So <laughs> yeah, you... it's
1: when you play too many games as a kid.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Are you in the forces still, or or you've moved no, on from that? No, no?
1: Okay. I left in two thousand eight.
0: Okay, okay. It's been a while now. So what was it that drew you to to that? Was it was it the guns and the the combat, or was there something else to it?
1: No, actually, I. Uh, tried to do the traditional route, you know, get good grades in high school and then go to college, university. But mm-hmm. my high school grades were not that good, okay. <laughs> and I flunked out of college after three months. Fair enough. So uh, I went back home to my parents' farm, and I'm like, well, I don't want to be a farmer for the rest of my life, no. and then. Uh, it was a kind of a deeper thing that got me to become a, to join the army. Okay. It was my grandfather. He was in the French army in the sixties. Oh wow. And he was drafted as a teenager to war to fight against uh, Algeria. Back mm. when Algeria was getting independent from France. Right. Oh wow. History people don't know about.
0: <laughs> no, that's not you don't hear a ton about that, at least no. I don't.
1: And so it's interesting because when you travel the world you get to hear all the conflicts all around the world. There's so much more than just what we know. We know 1812 first four War, second one mm-hmm. Iraq right like it's about sure. it we don't know all the other
0: right I but mean that. so much of global territory has been has been decided by through war right it's like every yep. country you know either yeah fought for independence or whatever it was so so you got you got to uh, growing up you got to spend time with your grandpa and get to know him
1: I did I did because I was not good in school <laughs> that's kind of a <laughs> running thing in my life
0: okay so ready.
1: I did went to school when you know with my wherever my mom lived at the time when I was a kid, but I, I didn't look good there, okay. and I was a troublemaker. <laughs> so they didn't want me back the following year, and I don't remember which grade that was, so they sent me to my grandma's place because the mm. school there would take me okay. because my grandma worked there for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so she had poor <laughs>
0: So she put her reputation on the line for you.
1: She did, and that was an embarrassing time, not for her, but for me, <laughs> because my mom went to the same school, and whenever I would mess up on something, the teachers I had also – had my mom when she was young, and mm-hmm. they would say things in the front of the class. Go, your mom was better than that at this.
0: <laughs> oh no!
1: <So> that, was, <laughs> that was pretty.
0: But did, did did that start to whip you into shape, or do you do you remain the rebel to this? day? No, time? that
1: was always in me. Okay. And so, and so back to my grandfather. Sure. When because he was drafted, so he didn't serve too too long. Just the war and then came back. Okay. But he had he was always very confident and peaceful, and nothing could really rattle his cage. Mm-hmm. He was like to the point, kind of no nonsense kind of guy. And then after I flunked out of college, I'm like, I don't know what to do with my life. So right. I thought, hey, you know what? That worked out great for my grandfather. Like People look up to him. So I thought, maybe I could try it. So that's why I picked Mechanic, too, because he was a Mechanic. Oh, wow. And I didn't know what to pick. I mean, when they give you a list of what you want to do, all those names don't make sense. So you're like, oh, I'll go with Mechanic.
0: Okay, interesting. So, no, yeah. that's, that's awesome, man. Now, uh, so did the Army whip some discipline into you, or, or still is it? It
1: did, it did. Yeah. You still, I think... I was always, I've always been rebellious. Okay. So even in the army, I got in trouble a lot for uh, you know not following the rules and sure. <laughs> getting in trouble. Yeah, they don't but, like that. Uh, they don't like that huh? either. They don't. But the thing is, because it's so rigid, it's actually they, it can absorb people's um, stubbornness and people's mm. things, right? Because people join the army as teenagers. You have all these teenage issues, anger, sure. and this and that, mm-hmm. right? And so that discipline in the army is like a thick wall that you can punch really, really hard and it doesn't budge, right? So
0: <laughs> That's a great so way to speak. look at it.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And yeah. People, I mean, how can you follow the rules? I'm like, we well, you don't have to. You, you, like, if you don't, you have to do extras and push-ups and everything. But it, mm. it's, right. I think it's better than, because right now in a civilian life, if you do anything mm-hmm. that's frowned upon, you get quite a bit of trouble, right? Like, you can't. Mm-hmm. If someone pisses you off, you can yell at them and just move on, right? Like There's <laughs> lots of consequences, but I like that about the army is that if an issue with somebody, it, even wh- back when I was in, anyway, is that if it got really bad, you just you two went out back, you duke it out. Yeah, sergeant came out, is like, okay, you got your lessons, move on, right? Like,
0: <laughs> you know, there's something to be said. Maybe the world would be better off if that was the, the consequence. You know, it's not. Oh, you're getting made fun of now on social media. You're getting your reputation is like you got a problem with someone, solve it. Man to man, yeah. person to person, and it was—it
1: wasn't forced to actually—not always to fight, but like if sure. you have an issue, go face the person, right? Yes. And then uh, it's kind of a thing that I don't see much in the world. Like I have a civilian job now, and a lot of time if I do something that upsets someone, my boss comes down and says, "So and so didn't like this." I'm like, "Well, they could have told me. Like it wasn't <laughs> on my intention." Right?
0: That's one thing I hate about, I guess, working being an employee is there's a lot of that hear it through the grapevine, you know so and so didn't like your performance on that or so and so didn't appreciate that and even in our creative work that we do, it's like, well, they didn't like the video that you did. It's like well why why didn't they say something? you know what
1: I right, like I know what did it pay me right
0: yeah, yeah, I'm the guy that did it you know like i I think there's a not generally, but it's a lack of personal responsibility, I think and the army probably tries to teach you that in some ways. it's like you are responsible for your own actions and, and the consequences.
1: Yeah, and most of the time they say, okay, go fix it right now. Like, <laughs> and so it's it's good. I remember in boot camp, I was brand new, so I didn't know anything about order and uniforms and all this. And then okay. they put me in charge of a section of four guys, and I never looked after anything in my life. So I showed up for the first task, and then it's just me. And the guy's like, where's your guys? I'm like, well, I don't know. I was like, what do you mean? So threw my head off, and then I had to run back, gather everybody. But I learned.
0: <laughs> That's the best way to learn sometimes, isn't it? By by doing or, or failing to
1: to do. Yeah, and so I think that's one thing in the army, they train you and they purposely make you fail so you know how that's like, and Uh and they show you to succeed, and now, I find like once you know, when you fail at something and succeed at it afterwards, you get a better understanding of it than if you just fail or just succeed, right?
0: Uh Ah, totally, you see that what does it take to fail, what does it take to succeed? Yeah,
1: and you see that line where this is going to work, this is not going to work, instead of, because if you succeed right away, you just, I call it luck, pretty much, right? (laughs) But if you fail but you don't try to succeed at it, then it doesn't, you don't learn anything either, right? So I think the learning is when you actually get to see both sides, then you can teach after that because somebody says, oh, I'm doing this and you go, oh, wait, do it that mm. way instead. And
0: That's really interesting. That's a great perspective. I love that, man. So, so. you were honorably discharged or how does that work? You just, you just didn't sign up or how does that, you, you knew it was time to move on from the army at a certain point?
1: I did. I, uh, the army works in contracts. So you sign okay. up and you get so many years, right? And, okay. But Canadian army is a voluntary army. Okay. So you don't have to stay. Like if you right. don't like it, you just say, I'm out, right? Mm-hmm. So, and so I did I did two contracts. It was three years each. Okay. And then I did one at the end. I did want to go to go overseas, right, just to get a medal and say, no, I've served my country, right, mm-hmm. and be all proud. And, <laughs> but uh, because I was in Alberta and every mechanic in Alberta was leaving the army because you make twice as much money as a civilian than you uh, do in the army. Okay. And then uh, and I did. Well, as soon as I left the army, my income doubled overnight.
0: Wow. <laughs> and then, so
1: yeah, and so because that was happening, a lot of guys were leaving the army. They mm-hmm. said, Well, you can only go overseas if you re sign another contract. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Okay, sure. Like, what is it? And uh, they slapped a 19 year contract in front of me. <sighs> I know, right? So when you're in mid your 20s, 19 years is a lifetime. So, I'm like, no, you know what? I don't want to do that. Like, like my wife's going to leave me if I do that. Like, I love her very <laughs> much. And then, so I decided, and plus, I've seen that all the people that were near me for like 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. they were like on a third marriage. I'm like, okay, that's not what I signed up for. Oh, really? Yeah. And so it's tough. Like, they move you everywhere. Like, right. to give an example, I'd be working a regular day job, like a very good day, like 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 nine to five, right? Mm-hmm. And then there'd be fires in BC. And someone would top of my shoulder and say, hey, you're going. And it was not, I get to go home first. It mm-hmm. was, I'm going. And so wow. I would text my wife, hey, I've been gone for three months. There's no reception. Love you.
0: That's not good for a marriage, huh?
1: No, no, no. And so, <laughs> so I love what I did in the army. I loved it. I mean, like, I got to do the coolest things you could ever think. Like, people play video games. I'm like, hey, I actually did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it's been fun. And so that's why I never I left the army. So because I finished my first three contracts, I was um, honorably discharged. Okay. All right. So like, you get a piece of paper signed by the queen. Saying thank you for serving. I'm like, wait, <laughs> the queen, but anyway.
0: <laughs> We're a commonwealth country. She's that's right, she's so. the head. So I guess that's it, right? Like when you're in the army, especially it's 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 not about you anymore. It's about a bigger thing than you, and you're you're pulling you know, it's about the collective. And so
1: It is, and everything you do is that's uh, hard to explain. So everything you do has huge meaning because obviously you're sent out places where you're the last. Mm-hmm. You're the backup, right? Like right. There's no one after you that comes to save the day, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact, and everything you do outside of that, like let's say, for example, a uniform or the way you do something, mm-hmm. it's got hundreds of years of the reason why it's been done that way. Right. right? It's kind of a pain respect of the past, right? So the way the buttons are put up, the way like a satch is worn on the shoulder, mm-hmm. the color of it, all of that represents all the people that went before you and that's why there's such a, if you watch parade, there's all this. Most people don't get it. Like, oh, why did they do this? Why do mm-hmm. they do that? And then it's too bad it's not explained to the reason why. Like the reason why there is a Say, infantry is sometimes have a red sash, right? Mm-hmm. And so way back in the day it was white, but they switched it to red because with all the battles and all the blood spilled,
0: hmm.
1: that, it always came back red. And so wow. in the memory of the soldiers, it, they kept it red, right? <laughs> so, kind of a deep, deep thing here.
0: No, <laughs> oh, that's interesting, and that's that's something that's maybe sometimes lost these days is that link to the past that tradition that's we do it this way because that's how we've been doing it you know it's progress progress comes at a price right it's like you can't leave that stuff behind either
1: fast progress does that i guess
0: right (laughs) yeah without thinking of how to incorporate the traditions of the of the past
1: yeah so that's the interesting part so no it was good i love what i did i love what i learned in the army Mm -hmm. and then i tell people that because i was not in a good place when i joined it really helped me also, so while I was in,
0: also eh? just anger issues or or what?
1: For everything, like yeah. just to be a better person, be able mm-hmm. to be responsible. Mm-hmm. I was I always thought that people were always superior to me. Mm, okay. Uh, everybody, right? I had this kind of complex about me, and mm-hmm. it came from interesting in life. Enough. It came from growing up in France. Okay. I grew up in France in, on a the place we rented, what used to be the stables of a castle, like wow. hundreds years ago, and it got turned into. Um, I guess, apartment complex. Okay. But every month, my mom had to go pay rent. And we literally, which is a story that people in Canada can't relate, my mom and I would literally walk with a check all right. the way to an actual castle <laughs> through the doors to go oh. to the owner of the land, which is an actual landlord, because he owned all the land in the area. Wow. And we paid this guy who's a doctor, actually, and we pay this guy the rent every month. And so I didn't know as a kid, but growing up, I thought what? that everybody was way superior because... But they didn't have to walk up to castle to pay rent. So they just <laughs> no kidding. It came out of the bank account for the mortgage, right?
0: <laughs> no doubt. Well, the fact that your landlord lived in a castle—that would—that would do a number on you, you know. That's... Oh, it
1: does. I was friends with the guy's son because we were the same age. Okay. And then I had so many questions for this guy because he would walk into the castle and it was 100% castle. Like he had a marble staircase all the way up to the huh. second floor. Like it was like the whole nine yards yeah, with the bridge that goes down for the river thing, like I'm talking, like, it wasn't just like a, a house that looked like a castle, it was an actual no. castle. Right? How,
0: how old is this castle, like, do you know? Uh,
1: so, uh, yeah, I think it was three or 400 years old, like wow. it was an old thing, and it was passed down through the guy's generation. It was really cool. That is so I would cool. ask him, I'm like, man, if you're hungry at night and your bedroom's players, because it's such, castles are you right? Like, right. you have to like spend 30 minutes running to the kitchen to like, get a snack? <laughs> no, it's kidding. like, oh, no, no, we got a second kitchen and living room upstairs oh. and this and that. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah.
0: It's a castle, Martin, come on. Right? Like,
1: I didn't know, like, I'm just a poor kid from down the street. <laughs>
0: sure. So, bor- born in France and grew up in France? Nope. Okay.
1: I was born in Penticton, BC. Okay. And then, uh, but I grew up in France. My parents are French. Well, my dad's from Quebec and my mom's from France. Okay. And so, yeah, so I was born in BC in Penticton. I grew up in Kirameos. It's a small town. Hmm. you probably never heard of it no, before. No, <laughs> no. How does it? How, tiny, tiny town. What town? What was it called? Uh, it's called Kirameos. Kirameos. It's uh, about 45 minutes south from Penticton.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Is Penticton right on the, on the lake or near the, like the Okanagan or Shuswap?
1: It is. It is. Yeah. It's like in the center part, I think. Because okay. Kelowna is on the upper part of the lake.
0: Okay. All and right. And
1: down, you, you go down to, towards Oliver on the bottom.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, so you went back to France for a time then?
1: We did 10 years from so 1990 to 99.
0: Okay. And then back to Canada for, for, yeah. for what reason?
1: Uh, well, my parents split when I was in France, okay. and so my mom did a few jobs in France, but France is very different than Canada. Mm. To get jobs over there, it's not your work ethics, it's what's on paper. So if you go to... Okay. So like here, like even Edmonton is the best like, example. You don't have to have education. You just go somewhere, you can get a good paying job, and you work your way up, right? Like your work yeah. ethics kind yes. of get you promoted and this and that. And, but over there, no, like if you want a management position, you have to go to university for management. Right on that position. Honestly, you wouldn't get it, it. Doesn't matter what you do, right?
0: It's a very old school kind of like class-based, caste-based system. It is. Right? It is
1: like if you, you know, oh, you went to the right school for the right place, right? right. Like it's it's too bad, but it's like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why my mom, after one, she's like, okay, well, she want to go back to Canada because mm-hmm. there's more opportunity. You don't have to have lots of education just to have entry level job. No.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so- go ahead.
1: No, well, that's where I got my accent from. Sure. I'm actually, oh. my first language was English originally.
0: Interesting. So you went to France and picked up the that accent. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then but because in France I because in school you learn English in France, mm. but you learn British English. All the English teachers are from England, because it's across the street right. pretty much. Yeah, and. pretty much. <laughs> so my English was not good enough when they said it wasn't how are you, it was how do you do. How and do I you have do I remember oh, one day I got an F because of that. No, yeah, they gave me because I'm like I wrote down how are you, and then the guy was all like, "What kind of English is it?" I'm oh, like, well, "I see. don't know, speaking <laughs> yeah. kind." Huh?
0: You understood me, didn't you? Like, oh,
1: well, exactly. Like I could talk to the guy, and so I lost all my English because I was brainwashed to think that I didn't have the proper English, right? Because I was on, I was six when I first came to France, I was seven or whatever.
0: Huh, that's very interesting. So, you you grew up in a certain social structure, and that put on you a, a, an inferiority complex. And then, if I'm hearing you right, come to Canada change of scenery and you began to you know feel more like yourself feel
1: yeah you don't have that you have less even though people here complain about how oppressive things can be yeah. like well you have no idea until you go somewhere else where it's worse
0: yeah uh yeah i bet you've seen real op- real oppression you know
1: it was interesting it was uh i learned a lot though because you know right now we have this movement especially last year about the uh, defending the police and all this sure well, I got to see it firsthand in in uh, in France, right? In the 90s, they had it wasn't defunding, but it was unarming the police. So they decided to take away all the guns away from the cops. Oh, good. Because uh, they thought it was a bad thing, right? Right. The problem is that when a criminal shows up with a gun, that guy now has 100% authority over everything, right? Like there's no nobody to stop him. So they did have like you know special forces to come in with guns sure. in case of that scenario, but because of that. People thought, people thought it worked great for a long time, but mm-hmm. now if you ever go to France now, cops still don't have guns, but then you have really? soldiers walking in the streets, right?
0: So and what so good are the cops?
1: A, uh, right, that's the point. So maybe you should have kept the cop with a handgun mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of having to have a soldier with a machine gun, right? But
0: So did they d- disarm the police because there was a, a, too many police shootings? Was that? Uh, it could? was the
1: same thing happening in France than in the U.S. in the 90s. Okay. Like, lots of cops killing especially killing black people and all this sure. same thing was happening in france and so there was big movements of disarming the police mm-hmm. but then in early 2000 well in the 90s and early 2000 it was all the terrorism happening in europe mm-hmm. and so instead of arming the cops they just brought in the army and then, then they were left so and did... so it's very safe like you can walk the streets of okay. paris at three in the morning and take the subway and there'd be three three soldiers in the subway
0: okay what do you <laughs> what do you think about that then like is, is there something to that, having the ar- more of a, like a military presence in the streets? I mean, that, that seems to me that's the alternative. If you, you don't want cops, well, who are you going to call when something goes wrong? You know? Well, that's
1: the thing, right? This is like the big debate that I don't know what the right answer is, right? Because nope. there's all these people that want to take away civilians and their guns mm-hmm. and then take away the cops and their guns. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, in a world where there's no guns, that makes sense. Sure. But, but the problem is all the shootings in Canada happen with guns acquired illegally. So I think the money shouldn't be spent on controlling and removing guns. It should be spent on stopping the illegal ones from coming in first. <laughs> Absolutely. And then that would really help in all the crime happening. And then because right now, if you go anywhere to buy a gun legally, mm. there's, there's, a, there's not much restriction, but you have to be licensed and everything. Mm-hmm. So there's a paper trial. So if you can commit a crime with that, you're going to be caught. Right. So most people, the acquire them illegally. So I think it's interesting that whenever you hear shooting on the news, they try to take away the guns from people. And like, well, that, that's not the solution. The illegal guns are still coming in.
0: Right. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So as I understand, you know, defund the police can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. I can understand. I guess that's what I keep coming back to is like, like you say, when the, when the illegal guns come and the criminals are, are armed, what's the alternative there? Because, okay, I get it. There's, there's issues where the police are maybe abusing their power. Maybe they are racist, but... That doesn't take away from the fact that we still need some sort of, or do we, maybe you can help me here. Do we need, we still need some kind of, the state has to flex its control on the people because it's, it's chaos otherwise.
1: That's it. That's actually, that's the defining line, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's arguing about freedom and mm-hmm. where the line is drawn and right. then. At the end, it's, I guess at the end is what we choose as people, and not really mm-hmm. everyone wants to have a solution. But if I come up with a solution, it'll be through my experience. And to be honest, I'm a white guy, so I didn't have that much crime happen to me mm-hmm. when I walked the streets of Edmonton. So I'll, it'd be easy for me to say, oh, yeah, we don't need guns. But then that's mm-hmm. my, that's only my experience, right? Like, I'm sure that these people have a whole different opinion.
0: Yep. That's to be a great for
1: against it, right? And that's, that's the thing. I think it's more of a collective thing mm-hmm. than just an extreme thing because the media only publishes what's very extreme about it, right? Right. But not the common conversation that everyone's having. And so that's, that would be the key to so somehow expose that. And if people say, okay, that's what everyone's talking about, there'd be a better line of agreement with mm-hmm. those conversations than just uh, take it all away or have it all free, right? Like,
0: Ah, uh, you're too rational, Martin. You're making too much sense. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's really it, though, isn't it? That uh, there's this—we're uh, being pulled to the to the radical ends of the spectrum, and and it seems like nuance and the fact that we all, every single person, has a different experience, and that's all kind of getting flattened out. And it's just like, are you for it or are you against it? It's like, well,
1: pretty much. There's uh, no okay, but what what about like kind of meeting in the middle and talking about it, right? Because like, right. people are afraid that if they talk about it. That means they're no longer for or against it. Like, well, at the end, but, but mm-hmm. if you got to be a little fly in people's walls in their houses, right. I'm sure there's a whole different conversation going on. Like,
0: oh, definitely, that and yeah, that's, not, not, yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. That's kind of where I'm at with this podcast. Is I'm I've done the you know 1920 episodes, and now I'm ready to start sort of talking about some issues like we're talking about. But I guess I, I I'm concerned that can I just talk about issues without taking a stand? You know, and I, can I be humble? The the alternative is that you 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 do that, and then somebody with an opinion just walks all over you. And yeah, and well,
1: usually that you're you're given that if you st- if you talk about something, others will judge you as taking stands for for whatever. Mm-hmm. Mostly whatever they perceive out of it, right? And it's too bad, but at the end, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how to navigate that. That's, I think that's why most people don't talk about it because they don't, they don't know how to navigate it. They don't know how to...
0: Ah, that's a good point. But that to, to bring me... bring it
1: up so they keep quiet, right?
0: Yeah, but that to me doesn't seem like the answer because look, if you, uh, you know, I hate to use the phrase silence is violence or whatever, but really the, the truth is if you don't, if you're not talking about it and the issues aren't brought to light, then, then those with the power or those with the means to just act are going to just act however they want yeah, and,
1: and that comes from anywhere like mm-hmm. i guess whoever's vocal gets hurt because everyone else is silent
0: <laughs> right right well yeah so it's and it's a big thing right it's not like we can solve it in one day one year one one lifetime no
1: no and so i think business is a good way to do it okay because when you run a business and you're the boss you get to actually influence a lot on what the business belief is and all this right mm and so I think that's a good way. Because I know you can get into politics to try to change things, mm-hmm. but then it always seems to fail.
0: <laughs> I got to tell you <laughs> that. caught up gonna, in the politics. Yeah, I didn't going to change a damn thing, I don't think. Yeah,
1: and so I think businesses have influence. And mm-hmm. so I think that's one way to start is you might not be able to change current businesses that are doing things a certain way. But hmm. when people start businesses, maybe you can expose them to what they can really do like most people think the business they have just sells a product or service mm-hmm. but they don't know that the way they are ha- the way they are I guess portrayed through the business and then people pick up on it right
0: that's that's incredible so is that part of was that part of your movement to to doing some entrepreneurial stuff like to starting drone buzz I see five years you've been in business with that
1: yeah well I always had that bug to, mm-hmm. to run my own business be my own thing mm-hmm. I guess it's the, the rebellious in me sure <laughs> mm mm-hmm and then yeah no drone actually started out of um a f- simple thought because mm-hmm. uh, i know where i worked for the longest time they had the news like uh, those magazines on the lunchroom table okay and one of them was about drones and so every day i would read about it and then i was just blown away about what they could do right mm. and then uh, on my way home one day i saw an old guy climbing on top of a roof of a house <laughs> and i knew this guy was hired to inspect the roof i'm like wow man like this guy like if this guy falls he's that's, that's some serious injury going to happen, right? right? Mm-hmm. And right away crossed my mind, like, what if I could do that with a drone? And so I came home, told my wife the business idea I had. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, I'll let you do it if you, <laughs> if you can make money with it. <laughs> that's
0: fair. That's fair, I think, right? So
1: I'm like, yeah, for sure. And so that's how we started. And then, uh, yeah, I started trying to do real estate with the business because okay. I thought that every realtor would love an aerial shop with a house to sell it. hmm but it turns out a lot of real estate, they don't make as much money as people think on the house. And they're so chi- they don't spend. They're cheap.
0: Just say. <laughs> yeah, so they
1: cheap. Well, yeah, they are cheap. But at the same time, they don't make much money because I no. always thought, okay, like if I sell the house for this much and they get this much of a commission, mm-hmm. they make that much. But really, at the end, when all the test sellers, they actually don't make that much on the house. And then they don't sell that many houses. I thought like a realtor would sell a bunch of houses in a month.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But most realtors don't sell that many in a month, like if they do one a month. Right. Right.
0: Right, I should say too. So, I'm cheap as well, so I'm not. I'm not <laughs> looking down on them. I think that's at drones. I mean, so in 2016, drones were kind of like, like you say, like that was a, a cutting edge thing, like to make the drone a consumer product, right? Like not it's everybody It's when had I them.
1: first hit the market to be consumer friendly, mm-hmm. and that's what helped me get into the the arena because I could buy a drone that did a lot of work for me, mm-hmm. and then I could focus on doing the more the photos and videos instead right. of actually knowing all the inner workings of how a drone actually works.
0: Right. So your first drone was like a consumer, like a DJI or something?
1: It was. No, it was actually the competitor. They had a competitor for about a year <laughs> that did good for six months and the guy never did anything with the company. So. Who was that? Yeah, I bought this. Uh, it was called um, 3DR. 3DR oh, Robotics.
0: Yes, I remember that. 3DR.
1: And so they came out with a drone called the Solo Drone, and the idea of the Solo was that it can do all these things that drones couldn't do. You could hit a replay button, it would redo the shot for you and all this. Oh, and wow. Cool stuff. Yeah. And then DJI went, well, that's easy to duplicate. It's just software <laughs> upgrade. And so, boom, they crashed them in two seconds. But of course, I spent all the money on a drone. <laughs>
0: Damn it! Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I used it for the longest time, mm-hmm. and then it's a great little drone. Or well, it's big. It's a really big drone. But mm. because it's a, it was an open-source drone, mm-hmm. you could do things, so I could okay. actually do flips with it and things you couldn't do with a traditional consumer drone
0: right because those dji drones now there's no there's no modifying them right it's just out of the box not much
1: like it's already pre-manufactured if you want to add an add-on it's already right plug and play kind of thing you don't
0: so do you do you you uh how many drones do you own because I, I saw something you were are you building one you build them too uh i got <laughs> okay i got
1: one i got three up there that i built right i got i got two more here wonderful <laughs> i got more here <laughs>
0: Oh, it's, it's becoming a problem, I think.
1: Yeah, well, I use them. So I've been introducing, we talked about it a little bit. I've been introducing that um, first person view you filming. Yes. It's uh, really big in the U.S. It's been around for a bit now, but mm-hmm. it's big in the U.S. But I don't see it much here. Some people fly them for fun, but I want to bring it for like, actually, doing cool shots for businesses and all right things. right
0: so, so first person like that's those racing drones you see right that's right that's right
1: so that's why we have the goggles like this ugly things here <laughs>
0: oh yeah oh you got the goggles oh boy oh boy
1: <laughs> yeah and so so the concept behind it is that if you fly a traditional drone usually mm-hmm. you have a tablet or a screen or something to see what it sees right right but that comes with lots of distractions glare from the sun people sure. being around you and all this mm-hmm. and so if you're going to be flying a sort of those little race drones with a camera on it. Mm-hmm. It's very technical. So when you put the goggles on, you block off all the um, all the um,
0: external. It, yeah, it. yeah,
1: all like external. Like so distractions. Of that, yeah, exactly. I mean, so now you can really focus on the shot itself and then work on that. So it's
0: right. Oh man, there's so on so the so...
1: outside. Yeah.
0: No, I say there's so much potential there. Like even like real estate tours or you know virtual virtual tours of some kind. Or but that's just the the, the tip of the iceberg. What yeah. you could do.
1: Yeah, it's been people have been discovering every every year that something new and cool that comes out. And.
0: Right on. So when you started Drone Buzz, like I have to imagine five years ago, Transport Canada was probably behind regulating them, right? Like, was it kind of just the wild west? You could just buy them and fly them. No, or?
1: I mean like consumers didn't know the rules, so that made it the wild west. But right. there was rules, just very old school. They did um, the way they worked it is that in Canada, mm-hmm. you have the laws to fly to fly anything, right? Mm-hmm. But they also have a special flight certification yes. that if you have to do a certain flight that's very uh, that goes against what the rules would be, mm-hmm. then you come up with this uh, certification where they would approve. You tell them, okay, this is what I need to do. This is the safety things I have in place, and they will go over the plan with you and say, yes, you can fly in this manner, even though usually it wouldn't be allowed. Now we allow you temporarily, right? Right. So mm-hmm. that's what people do with drones. Is that would apply for the same certificate, but instead of flying an airplane, we say we're gonna fly a drone and we're gonna fly it in such manner and this and that and. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was this thing where you had to renew and add right. all the drones to it. And mm-hmm. so it's a good thing the new rules came out. It's simpler.
0: It is simpler, right? Eh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's more It's more like a, getting an actual license, like a driver license or boat license or something. Just you actually get tested and all that you go. You know, you have to learn and go to school, get tested.
0: Right. So could you sort of yeah. run me down the list? I think this would be great for people listening. Like you're an expert what are, what are all the steps that you've had to go through to be able to, to fly like you do? Because there's plenty of people that don't and they just fly like cowboys and they do whatever. That's actually not legal.
1: Uh, yeah, well, yes and no. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, because before the new rules, yeah, like anything you flew, you had to be in an area you can fly and those are very, very small, right? Mm-hmm. So they'd be in an airspace that's not controlled. But now with your new rules, you have to have a license to fly a drone.
0: Mm.
1: But if your drone is under 250 grams, you don't need a license.
0: Right. That's why I bought so, that Mini, Mavic Mini. Yeah.
1: So it's under the weight, right? And that's yeah. why I modified this. So I have this little dinky race drone with just <laughs> motors, right? And so it's modified. It's the exact same drone, but modified to have a GoPro on it.
0: Oh, nice. Oh, that's sick. And so
1: now I have this. It's underweight, so I can fly it anywhere I want. Mm-hmm. But I got a Hero, a Hero 8 on it. It's modified oh, also yeah. the Hero 8. Beauty. And so you can get decent footage out of it from really cool angles and all this. hmm
0: Nice. So, but like you have, you have a radio operator certificate, right? Like you have ground school training, liability insurance. Is yeah. that, a, yeah. It's, it's so a, that's big a deal. lot of
1: different things you have to get. Yeah. Um, they don't always mention it. So you have to get a license. Now it's been very public. Now you have to get a license. You, you do. get different okay. licensing, right? Depending on what kind of flying you want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, for, let's say, for example, if you're going to fly near an airport, as much as you have to have the proper licensing and drones to do that, mm-hmm. they also ask that you have a, um, radio certificate so you can actually listen to the tower Mm. not so you can talk to them they wouldn't appreciate if you just hop on the radio and cut everyone out and say hey uh, hey guys (laughs) I'm here
0: yeah I'm 20 feet (laughs) off the ground over here getting a shot of a house yeah Uh, so it's
1: to listen so if there's an emergency for example they don't have to personally call your cell phone say can you land because I'm sure they have their hands full yeah so they just broadcast it and then you hear it and go okay then you terminate your mission because well there's something happening right Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the main thing
0: Okay. Right on. Yeah. Because when we worked together last month, when we were shooting out in Laduke, it was like, I'm not even going to attempt to fly my drone out there. Why don't we get a professional who's going to go through the right channels? And you did, right? Like, it won't
1: fly actually. DJI has a bunch of locked zone.
0: Right. It won't take off. So, and you did everything and I was appreciated it and impressed by it. Like you did a flight plan. You know, you, what, what are all those steps that, that a drone pilot should be doing? Can you...
1: Oh, there's a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing you check is what the weather's going to be. <laughs> okay, oh, good call. <laughs> because if the weather's going to be horrible, there's no point of planning any flight. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then, then you go from there. And then you go from weather to check all your different weather things. from mm-hmm. like the temperature, the dew points, so that you don't get freezing points. Like this time of the year, freezing is an issue. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. don't know that. They'll fly a drone in the winter. And some cold days, they'll fly just fine. The next day, it will drop out of the sky because the temperature being slightly different causes the icing and all this. Right. And so, but yeah, so the planning goes into that first and then you go into the technical part where you mm. open a flight chart and you get to see the airspace you're in or you're going to fly in, see who you have to coordinate the flights with. Mm. So, for example, at the airport I uh, had to go through NAF Canada for the Edmonton area to actually... Tell them, okay, I'm going to fly. And then you got to choose. Like, you look at the area. So, you, you, I remember when I worked for you, mm-hmm. I looked at the neighborhood. But the thing is, the Google Maps didn't have any houses. So, I kind of guessed on the sure. area I'm going to fly. I'm like, I'm hoping it's there. And then right. when I showed up, everything was off by about, like, 100 feet. Okay. So, I couldn't go far south as I wanted because the zone blocked me right
0: there. Right, right, right.
1: <laughs> but, yeah. So, you go to the airport. You fill out all your information. They're going to, they're going to they have... a. Nowadays, pretty easy, actually. They just have a list for you to fill out. Okay. You still have to know your stuff. You have to know your grid coordinates and all this, when you're going to fly, your radius and all this. Mm-hmm. And you plot your time of the day and all this. And the reason why your emergency situation scenarios, they ask you all this, so you have to say, what would you do in scenarios and all this? And,
0: so you can understand yeah. why people don't bother with any of that and just fly.
1: Yeah, and that's where the business came from. Like Once I started business, I realized people don't always want to go through all this licensing mm-hmm. to fly a drone three times a year, right? Like, it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, well, maybe I can be that guy. You hire me, and instead of me being a full-on video production, I'm the guy you hire to get that footage, mm-hmm. and then you can keep doing what you do and don't have to spend all the extra money, right? Yeah,
0: which is great. And so when did you start to have your first – I guess I should say, did you start doing more, like, of the survey stuff, or did you were you doing more, like, of the actual video production kind of advertising
1: well, I got put into a video. Like Originally, I was going to do real estate photos. Right. and then, um, But you know how you start a business. You do a, a pro bono video just to show oh, yeah. what you can do. Mm. And of course, the first one I got access to was the Castro Raceway Racetrack. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Which is right off the runway of the <laughs> International Airport. Yeah, <laughs> so on. my first flight ever was a nightmare. Well, not a nightmare, but I learned a lot on how to set up a flight properly because, well, I was applying to fly for the first time. Not only was I going to... Fly professionally for the first time with my business name, but mm. I was actually going to fly the first time in a, in a complex environment like that. So, yeah. and, and back then, it wasn't like nowadays. Back then, every time you took off the drone and landed, you had to actually physically call the tower.
0: Wow. You to take it oh. off. <laughs> really? And then
1: once you landed, oh, it was crazy. It was, but it gave me goosebumps the first time because I remember I'd be telling them, yeah, I just landed my drone. Mm. And in the background of the tower, I would hear. Uh, them telling them some WestJet flight to come landing. And so I'm wow. like, oh, and I look back and right behind me, this big WestJet 747 that comes out. I'm like, that's so cool, right? Like,
0: no <laughs> doubt. So, so yeah. are you interested in like uh, aviation? Like was that something that like before drones, were you interested in that side of things?
1: I always was mm-hmm. uh, because in France, one of my jobs my mom had was working for Airbus. Okay. Because we happen to live in that city where Airbus has a headquarters in France. Okay and so she got a job there, and when I was a kid, I must have been ten or twelve years old. You know how you have that day where your parents take you to work and you have like bring your kids to work there, yeah, yep, yeah. so I went to work, and then her job was more secretary stuff, mm. so she got the engineers to take me, and they nice. pulled out this plane it was a big plane, like uh a seven twenty or something I don't know, it was huge, like okay. it was big. And then I got on board with them. They sat me on a pilot seat, and the the engineer next to me is like, "Oh yeah, flick this switch, flick that switch." I'm just flicking all the buttons, yeah. and the next thing I know, one of the engines started up. No. And I was at, I was hooked. I mean, like <laughs> when you're twelve and you start the engine of a big plane,
0: <laughs> and to feel that power, hey,
1: oh, it was crazy. And then I never looked downside, so I just kept
0: looking up at the sky. <laughs> Unreal. So did did uh, did maybe like you said earlier, tinkering, like did mechanic work and drone work? Does that kind of fulfill? some side of you you know where you're tapped into like that machinery
1: yeah i always think when i was a kid always mm-hmm. did i don't mm-hmm. know why i took everything apart in the house and put it back together <laughs> which was not always approved by my mom when i was a kid
0: that seems to be the way you lived your life not always approved didn't ask for approval, no right
1: and then uh and so yeah and then i just stuck with me and that's why mechanic i just worked pretty good because i'm good at tinkering i yeah. And then yeah, and then when I got into drones, you have to tinker because as soon as you crash one, well, that's a lot of repair
0: time. No kidding.
1: <laughs> and so yeah, and so that's what I did on this one. I just posted on YouTube. I had this one on the part and the, the main board, and it had to be replaced. So. Ah,
0: uh, right on, right that was, on. That was fun. Do you do you foresee <laughs> quitting your heavy duty mechanic job and going full time with Drone Buzz? Is that the is that the goal or?
1: That's what I see. Yeah, that's yeah. what I see. And so uh, things have been picking up lately so you know what i'm um that's what i'm working towards although just don't tell my boss
0: oh no 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 martin's a lifer at cal tire don't worry yeah, about that's that. right
1: that's right just this conversation is just between you and i okay?
0: <laughs> yeah. no, nobody's gonna hear this No one. i'm not recording it no that's cool man that's really cool um yeah i so, guess yeah. i, I guess did go ahead
1: no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm just trying like, to fill the empty space.
0: <laughs> no problem, yeah. I try and keep those to a minimum, but uh, I, I did no prep for this, man. Like, I I apologize. I'm not, I don't think it's a problem, but, like, I don't know you, so I've been enjoying learning what I've learned about you. It's, uh, oh, it's, thanks. I don't
1: know you either, so I'm just, like, spilling my guts to, <laughs> to you. There.
0: That's what we You're want, and that's what I found is, like, these, these conversations, they're just that. Uh, there's no agenda here. It's just, we're just chatting, you know? I guess so, yeah. I'm. I guess I'm curious. Like, I wanted to follow up on something you said earlier. You said business might be a way to influence some positive social impact. Is there? I'm not going to say what are you doing with Drone Buzz to make the world <laughs> a better place, but like, is what's kind of your approach there? Like, are you just seeking to help people? I guess provide a service that they don't have.
1: Well, I've been because um, interesting. When you run a business, you meet so many people you yes. would not meet outside of it, right? He Mm. probably went through the same thing, right? Like, you get to meet, get around people that you're like, wow, like, if I had a job, I'd just never meet those people. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. And so, one of the people I met was, uh, well, I met Luke. That was really cool. Yep. We met through, I don't know if you heard the app. It's called Alignable.
0: Is that the business card? Or is that something
1: else? No, it's an old app for business, the local business to connect. Okay. And then I created an account Mm -hmm. way back and Mm -hmm. I never really touched it because it's very ghetto. It's like an old school (laughs) LinkedIn. And then the next thing I know, this guy, Luke, reached out to me through it. Or maybe I reached out to him. I don't know how it happened. And we met for coffee to talk business. To talk if we could work together. Sure. And then, yeah, and then uh, we left it at that. Same thing as you and I, him and I left it at that. It was great coffee. We never talked Mm since and something, some project brought us back together. And then we did a few jobs after that together,
0: man. That's great. And that, and that's so much of what it is, man. It's like, it's, it's relationships with people that make the difference in business. It's not, it's not the product always it's your connections, right?
1: Yeah, the people you meet, if you're willing to go out there. And I know when people say it's the connections, they think you have like backdoor access to people. But no, no, it's literally just up front talking to the people you need to talk to. And next thing you know, you'll find the people, the right people. And,
0: yeah, totally. Yeah, there's not, there's yeah. no there's no big mystery. I mean, there's lots of techniques and there's lots of experience as a big part of it. But, you know, seek to seek to help people. Seek to serve people and, and find people that you actually enjoy working with.
1: That's pretty much it, yeah. So I was lucky enough to be part of a... Um, to be involved with an organization called Elevate Aviation. Okay. I don't know if you heard of them before.
0: No. I mean,
1: I don't, not until I'm working for them. It's an organization that promotes women in aviation. Okay. Because I guess aviation only has 7% women in it. Mm. I didn't know that. And so this lady, uh, her name is Kendra Kincaid. Okay. See, I'm probably not saying the last name right. That <laughs> <in my accent, laughs> <It> sounded, <but laughs> sounded pretty good. But she, uh, she's been an air traffic controller for 20 years at the airport. And she started an organization to raise awareness on aviation being a career for women also. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so she started that five years ago, and now it's across Canada. It's a huge organization. And so I got exposed to them, not because of anything that I could do about it. (laughs) But they they started a learning center where they expose people to aviation through a learning center. So you show up, and you can go to different classes, and Mm. you get people in that industry that will come in and talk about it. And they would take you around. And so I happened to be an instructor. Okay. For the drones, because there's no, in Edmonton, there's no women that do drones for business. So I'm the impromptu women drone pilot for them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you have to wear a wig or anything? No,
1: no, no, luckily. But, um, and so I got involved with them through that. And then I got to really see the depth of the organization and the people I got to meet. It was really cool. One of the events that really hit me hard, and that's why I got involved more, is that. uh, I got to the presentation on aviation to women that were coming out of a abusive relationships. Hmm. And, uh, and I'm not talking like, I'm talking like severely abusive, right? Sure. And it was interesting to see that when I look across the room, it wasn't, it was just everyday women you see everyday where you go, anywhere you go. Like hmm. there was not like you couldn't pick them up and say, oh, this person is going through something hard right now. You couldn't tell. They're just, and then they would talk about, they wouldn't talk to me, but at the end of the class they would talk to each other with some of the stuff that happened to them. And I realized hmm. like, wow, this is and I don't know, it brought a huge meaning to the organization and so I've been So yeah I've been promoting it everywhere I go like whenever there's women that, that want to know about what to do with their life I'm like oh you should check out the aviation and get it to because you get to meet like women jump, uh, women pilots and mm-hmm. last time I was there there was a lady that flies the F18s for the uh, Canadian Air Force wow she was doing a presentation and no one knew that there was an actual women pilot that flew those planes wow there was the RCMP helicopter pilot for our area is a woman that she's been planning for 20 years now wow yeah and so it's cool
0: elevate aviation yeah cool i'll I'll add a link to that in the notes that's very cool if you're enjoying this conversation please subscribe on youtube and give us a like if you're listening on apple podcasts please subscribe and leave a five-star review and now back to the conversation so So, when you talk to those women was it a sense of like because there's an argument that it's like well that's sort of that sort of uh work might not be appealing to a woman was it that they just didn't know about it or didn't ever think about it or was it was it like a what we might call that kind of gendered oppression thing where they weren't they, there was barriers for them to get into it or was it that they just never thought about it generally
1: no actually it was uh, totally different actually they were part of an organization that that helps women get their life back on track okay and somehow they heard about elevates learning center and so they reached and say hey can i expose these women to more job options like mm-hmm. what they could do with their lives and that's all it was so they showed up they spent a week mm-hmm. i was there for with them for only one day for the drone part of it mm-hmm. but then they got to go in the tower they got to do everything mm-hmm. and so there were um They they know they were just women trying to get their life back. And then Mm -hmm. that just been through a very, something very bad in their life, I guess.
0: Hmm. Right on. Uh, So are you still doing stuff with with Elevate?
1: We do, we do. Uh, Odd enough with COVID, it kind of things kind of, the organization is still involved, but everything went online. So I Mm -hmm. did help them put together a drone course online to kind of, people want to know about drones, they can go on there and learn more.
0: Cool. So it should be
1: coming out anytime soon now.
0: Oh yeah? Okay, right on. Yeah. Elevate. I got to check into that. That's very cool.
1: Yeah, they did um, two years ago. They did a gala and they go all out. The gala was amazing. Like you walked into that area and it was like a whole different world. It was awesome. Wow. And what I got to do for them is that I got to fly a drone on stage with a live view. Like what the drone saw was played live on the screen on stage. And I would follow the speaker with what Kendra at the time all the way on stage. So it was really cool to show.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and of course, I flew over the head of all the people that are in charge of drone regulations. I was sitting in front row, oh, which I didn't know about. So, I'm like, well, hopefully, because I didn't check. Was, hopefully. Because it's indoors, so there's no rules for indoors. So, I'm like, well, hopefully, I didn't make any enemies there.
0: Right, because that's a big deal outdoors, right? No, you can't fly overhead of people.
1: That's right, that's right. So, indoors. They, uh, it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Obviously, if you go into a Western and fly, with reports heads, and that you know pisses the, <laughs> people off. But yeah, yeah. But usually, when you're indoors, you're part of a crew, so it doesn't matter. You're all part of the same crew.
0: Right, right, right. So, what's been your craziest flight experience or, or move that you've pulled off? Is there something that stands out?
1: Uh, there's a few. I mean, like, there's the scary ones where it was unintended, and then you're mm-hmm. like, "Wow, I made it through." that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, some of the cool ones that. I pretty risky. It was chasing cars down the uh, other racetrack. Mm -hmm. That was a tricky one because they have light posts everywhere and they have all this stuff. Plus, they have bystanders, and so you have to fly it in a way where you can capture cars in a cool angle, but avoid flying over people and obviously avoid all the pillars on the
0: track. Right, and keep pace with the car, which is probably that's right. And so it was it was
1: nuts because there's a few near misses with those posts, (laughs) especially when you're focusing on chasing a car that goes pretty fast. Yeah. And then you pull up the screen in the air just to kind of have a cool ending, right? And mm-hmm. the pose go right past the camera. You're like, whoa!
0: God. Yo, that's crazy. So, yeah. yeah.
1: So the funner ones were uh, where we did TELUS. We flew, they were changing windows at of TELUS building. Mm-hmm. So we, defle- we flew the drone in and out of the open windows to show how they did the work.
0: Who is and that? So did Who did it. you do that with? Who is the. Uh,
1: a friend of Luke's.
0: Right. Was that from <laughs> Mario? Mario? That's right. That's Mario right. Mario Glass? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I so love that, that
0: shot where Mario's finishing putting that last window and you just pull back. Isn't that cool? Oh, <laughs> that's genius. That's what you need. That's
1: so so that was a scary shot because as soon as he put the window, mm-hmm. he dropped some of the signal strength to the drone.
0: Oh, because you were inside and, the building.
1: Yeah, because inside the building, and it was windy outside. So as soon as they closed that thing, I had a split second moment of th- just thinking the drone's gonna
0: <laughs> go on. <laughs>
1: <God>. <laughs> but no, it turned yeah. out good. So it was really good. Bringing it back in was interesting because at the end they only had one window left for me to come back in, and there's a lot of um, a lot of air that comes out of the building, right? Right. Because it's escaping from the... Because I guess I have to keep a certain pressure in the building. I didn't know that. Makes so- yeah. And so as I'm flying in, it the drone is really struggling coming into the building because it's fighting against all that draft coming out. But as soon as the drone got in the building, then there's no more draft. That thing shot through the whole room. Uh, <laughs> I, I just pretend everything was cool. I landed, everything was yeah. cool. Deep inside, my heart is racing.
0: <laughs> oh, that's incredible. I, I guess I thought you would have been down on the sidewalk and, and flew. Why Why would you... Was it easier just to be inside then to do that show? Well, it was on a
1: 27th floor, and they wanted me to start inside. And I thought that if oh, I was okay. down on the bottom, the reception would really drop. Right. And so right. it would be easier to do it inside and then be there. Okay. The tricky part is bring it back in. Because <laughs> <laughs> then, the, of course, when they close the windows, I'm like, oh, which one's open? And it was on a different side of the building. So I had to walk with the drone outside and me inside walk all the way around the building. Sure.
0: Pain in the ass, really.
1: <laughs> trying to find – trying to go all the – all the gear they had, and trying to figure out what that window was.
0: Right, you'd have to count count floors as you pass by them, right? That yeah, so
1: it was interesting tough. to come back. <laughs> then I saw the open one on the screen. I like, yes, that's one. <laughs>
0: that's great, because it was uh, it was Nick Nick Layman was his name who did the the rest of the shooting for that project.
1: That's right. That's right. He was doing the ground shots mm-hmm. on the um,
0: interesting. On the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I guess I thought it was him that flew that drone, but then now that I think about it, with Luke's connection there, of course, of course, it was you. all by the book
1: that's right yeah well because i know um nicholas told me that he looked into drones but same thing i stopped most people is that he said i would have to get through so much regulation just to fly it three times a year Mm
0: -hmm. not worth it
1: yeah so so what? yeah that was a few crazy ones
0: (laughs) is most of the work you do like corporate video like that or do you do surveying and stuff as well
1: or they changes? That's the thing. Like I always thought, there'd be like a kind of a one that sticks out. But like mm-hmm. some parts of the year, it'll be mostly real estate. Like I just, uh, just even tomorrow, I'm back doing more real estate, mm-hmm. and then it'll be like massive commercial buildings mm-hmm. that people are selling, renting, promoting. Or um, surprisingly, in the winter, it's raw land. People will hire me to capture pictures of raw land, and they, they put right. a three D rendering of what it's gonna be.
0: Oh, like they're gonna develop some kind of. That's right. That's right. Okay. And
1: then, But that changes. And then maybe in the next two months, it'll be all corporate videos. And then it just, there's no, I thought there'd be kind of a pattern, but there's none. It's just. Interesting. It well, that's, time, so.
0: that's kind of okay, right? It's like the money's coming in from different. That's all
1: exactly. That. I'm like, oh, whatever you need, I'll do it.
0: <laughs> that's kind of my, I, I don't think, I've never had two days the same of video production. It's like car dealerships, Taekwondo gyms, real estate, hockey games. It's cool. I
1: like the diversity. I like it, the exposure and uh, Mhm.
0: And like you say, you meet new people and then new connections form.
1: Well, exactly, right? And somebody says, oh, I need your help with this. And right. then it's connected back to a previous job. And-
0: yeah. Oh, that's, I, that's the beauty of entrepreneurship in some ways, right? Like you, you're, on the, you're on the road now and it's your road and you're going down it, not for anybody else.
1: It's a, I think, it helps you think so much more creatively because mm-hmm. now you don't have restraint. Right? You don't have someone come come along and say, well, I pay a your paycheck. You're not doing that, Right. right. Right, And so now you get to, even though you take more risks, at yeah. the same time, mm-hmm. you can see in your, in your head what you wanna do, mm-hmm. and you can actually go do it, and as you're doing it, you can tweak along the way to make sure it's gonna succeed, right? Because as you progress with whatever you have in mind, you see, okay, that's not working, that's working, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end, you do have your final product, and it all came together, but you got to be kind of the mastermind behind it, and it's, it's fun, because then you get to see like, wow, I pulled that off, right? Like,
0: right, that's right, if it crashes and burns, it's on you, but if it succeeds, then it's, it's on you.
1: Exactly, and so, but I find you get to learn more because no one's gonna be,
0: like, on you.
1: Because yeah. I don't know, the job mentality is as soon as you mess something up, you don't follow the guidelines, you get written up, and you get all this stuff that keeps you from being creative, right, or trying <laughs> something new. And so then you get to do it, and you get to learn. So if you fail at something, where you get to see, okay, it it all went sideways because of this and this. So I'm gonna do it again. And mm-hmm. everyone's gonna run you is gonna say you're crazy for doing it again and like, yeah, but you what they don't know is like I'm gonna change these two things and hopefully that's gonna succeed.
0: That's right. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Or or I'll learn, I guess. Yeah, or you just tweak some more. <laughs> <laughs> Keep tweaking. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's I guess the flip side of that is like you say there's not that guy that comes down and says, Well, I pay your paycheck, do it this way, but like you pay your paycheck. So Exactly. It's do you do you ever find like a buddy of mine asked me last night? He's like, "Would you work as hard as you work for yourself for uh, for somebody else?" And I, I don't think I would. Like nobody
1: would. You no, have too no. many restraints. Like
0: sure. like here, we,
1: I work harder because I know at the end I get to keep what I've done. Right? Like right. you work a job, you work really hard, and what? I just get shuffled to something else. And...
0: Absolutely. Like I'm no communist, Martin, but like Karl <laughs> Marx talked about the alienation of labor. Like when you work for somebody. You're, you don't see the, the fruits of your labor. And in some ways, you even get separated from yourself. It's like I put all of myself into that and it just goes away.
1: Yeah, there's like a disconnection between the money you earn and the work you do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's no correct... Because I grew up on a farm and then obviously, like you, you have to work for it to feed yourself, right? Like, totally. And so when you work a job, you just do your eight hours every day Mm -hmm. and at the end you get a paycheck and it doesn't matter what you do in those eight hours, right? Obviously, you know, the boss will come down and harp on you if you're not doing anything (laughs) but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how productive you are if you don't feel like working hard that day you can get away with it and the next day if you're in a better mood you can work harder right like it's not but then when you work for yourself there's extra incentive that just it's you you're the boss so you go out there and you're like you work really hard because you're excited about it you're it's your baby so to speak right it's in your head and you know what to do Mm -hmm. it's not that someone else tells you okay you're gonna use this to do that and you look at it going well that doesn't work for doing this and Mm -hmm. then now now you're gonna do a poor job (laughs) you don't care about because you know whoever set up the job for you didn't do it right right
0: yeah 100 percent. and i I was going to ask you then you grew up on a farm so you've got farming experience like hands-on is there is there something really satisfying about that like you're responsible for your life like completely right like the work you do is to keep yourself alive and i I like
1: to tell you that it's satisfying but the first chance i had to leave the farm i took it
0: (laughs) But it, Okay, sure. So, so here's me, city boy, trying to romanticize life on a farm. But is there something to that? Is there, is there, is there a satisfaction? There is a, or what is that?
1: There is a disconnection to society, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Because you, get, you have your own land, you have your own stuff, and you do farm to sell it and make money. So you have connection to the world, but you sell the products you grew, right? Right. So it, it's just like any business, but you have your own your own world, because the farmland you're on this is your space you do whatever you want you mm-hmm. can create whatever you want it's really cool like we had dirt bikes on a farm, and so nice. we used to the out outskirt of the farm we used to dig holes and make little mounts and just do a little bit of crossroad like <laughs> biking around with that
0: totally man it's your land it's your it's 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 i don't know there's a freedom there i guess to me is what it sounds like.
1: There is, there is, and it's hard to explain if you grew up in the city because whenever you want to do something, you have to go on someone else's property. So you go to like the park, right? But I don't think you should take your dirt bike to a park. Well, you're not gonna be. <laughs> it's not gonna go well. Right? Like, yeah. I used to do like things that I used to do. No one can relate. Like we used to ride our bikes to go fishing by the river next to the farm, and we literally just toss the bike in a ditch, go farming, uh, go fishing, and swimming for the afternoon or something because oh. there wasn't much to do on a farm. Right. You come back, the bike is still in the ditch. Like there's no one around to take it. Right. You just pick it up and off you go, right? And then you'd be booting down. A highway because the highways in small towns are never having any traffic mm-hmm. you are putting on a highway in your in your bike that has no license no lights nothing and then the cops will flash the lights quickly yep. and they don't do it because they want to stop you they just ask you to get off the road so you just take a dirt, dirt trail home and <laughs> <Different>. <laughs> it's a different life different a life, different
0: life. <clears throat> do you find that people who who do like who live uh, in rural areas and farm like that they're more likely to be conservatively like conservative thinking in their in their politics yeah. there's something to that <laughs> I'm not Absolutely. saying they're racist hillbillies, <laughs> but I'm saying...
1: No, but the, it comes not from that aspect. It comes from the... Because um, you, you do everything yourself on a farm, mm-hmm. so you, and you're less likely to want the government to take more taxes from you <laughs> because, like, wait a minute, I had to literally be on my knees and work here, like, right. weeding plants and doing whatever because we grew up on organic farm, so we oh, had to wow. literally do lots of manual oh labor. <clears throat> and so when you have to pay taxes, it hurts because you're like, well, what do I get out of it? I'm a
0: farmer. <laughs> right. And what right, do you... What is the? What is the? Yeah, that's interesting, right? As a, as a farmer living in the in the rural part of the world, what it's less. There's less benefit to you to pay into that.
1: Well, that's that's the point, right? And that's why if you look at during election maps, the more dense the population, the more liberal or NDP will be, mm-hmm. but the more rural the population, the more conservative it will be. It's mostly because of that, because well. Like you, you tell me I need to pay taxes to make, remake the roads, but the road from here to the actual road is mine. And it's like three miles long and I'm the one who have to pay to pay it, right? Like, right. Right, <laughs> Yeah. So I, that's I think the difference.
0: There's a danger there where it's like, oh, the, the rural base of Alberta voters are a bunch of, you know, they're, they're, they're anti-abortion, they're pro-gun, they're, they're anti-gay rights. All that social shit gets lumped onto them, but they're probably, it's probably not the case. You know, there's probably, probably
1: not. I mean, like uh, if you go out and look at farmers, I'm sure a lot of farmers are not even from Canada to start with. Like mm. people we came to Canada, and with the opportunity to do something, and farming mm-hmm. is what they landed on. And so now that person who's not from Canada gets lumped down as a white racist, and the person doesn't even white, right? Like
0: yeah, oh, that's wild. I didn't even thought of that. A, I gotta look into it. Yeah, in so demo. but
1: I'm sure there is. I mean, like obviously, sure. you got you get people that have been stuck in their farm for like 40 years and never left. So right. yeah, they might have that mindset. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it's. So it might be more prevalent in those areas, but at the end, it's not. It's not 100% the case. Right. Most of the places you go to, they'll be excited to show you their farm and what they do, and most of them are proud of their farm. Mm-hmm. And so, they'll, they'll when you show up without invitation, they'll be, oh yeah, this is what we grow here. Take some home, right? This is wow. like it's not. It won't be like people saying, <laughs> no, he'll be in the back of a truck with a shotgun waiting for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, and that's the problem with the, with identity. And and even the politics of it, where it's like, well, we have to try and understand this group and why they're doing what they're doing. So let's just paint them with a broad brush.
1: Pretty much, yeah. They're, they're a very small population, if you think about it. Like mm-hmm. most of the population in Alberta is in Canada, is in, uh, in Canada, is in Calgary and Edmonton, right? And right. so, if you want to pick on farmers, you're not picking on a big crowd.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So it's a wealthy crowd sometimes because some right. people have a lot of land, right? But it's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't mean it's a massive. It's not a. It's not a majority of people.
0: Right? it's. Like it's mm. So you've got no desire to go back to that that way of living. You're you're, you're happy with the urban lifestyle.
1: Yeah, I am. It's. Yeah. Uh, I don't think. I, I I do miss the free spirit part of it, mm. but it comes with a lot of labor. <laughs> sometimes it's <laughs> convenient not to order anything just to go buy food. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah! I think I'm gonna order some food after this conversation, and that's the that's the beauty of, of it. Right? That's
1: right, right? So, and that's the thing, and so. But I got to see both sides, and so it's different. Like it, it was a shock when I went from organic farm to the city life, because when I joined the army, they take you right to city life. And so the first right. time I walked into a grocery store, and thought that nothing was ready. Yeah, the tomatoes didn't smell like tomatoes. The bananas are green. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> that's
0: hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, that's the whole but crazy yeah. thing is having to feed millions and millions of people uh, yeah. efficiently. What do, you, do you know uh, much the, about the, that, like mass farming? or?
1: Well, all I know, because we were on organic farms, so it wasn't mm. that big, but all I know is that the system we have to move food right now is not friendly to fresh produce. Mm. right? And that's the reason why it's hard to get it or it's expensive to get it because everything that's transporting food right now is transporting food that's designed to be stored for a long time, not... Not be perishable. Like when whenever they pick something, it has to be not ripe yet. So by the time you get it, then it's ripe, right?
0: Right. And that seems to be. What's the What's the consequence there? If you pick something before it's ripe, isn't it probably less nutritious?
1: It is less less nutritious, and it also doesn't like it's not gonna be like it's hard to explain. Like I tell people, if you bite into a peach that's Mm -hmm. fresh, Mm -hmm. it's soft and it's juicy. Like it doesn't crunch. Right. But when you go to the store, they all crunch. Like, there's nothing.
0: Yeah, I don't like it. They
1: must f- put on... Yeah, people don't know that. They go on like, oh, this one's really good. I'm like, dude, like, you're eating like an apple. No
0: <laughs> kidding. A peach should not sound like an apple. That's right? like, too true. Uh, but, and so I was privileged
1: in BC to have grown with, like, around fruit farms and then to be able to eat, like, fresh cherries and fresh fruits and oh. expose you because nothing is going to happen after that.
0: No, no, absolutely. Oh, man. So, when Like, even in Alberta, you know, you... B.C. guys come and and sell their cherries and and peaches on the highway.
1: I know. Everyone jumps on it.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And they're they're, they're a delicacy in some ways.
1: But I learned something is that the farm we we lived on, Mm -hmm. it was not occupied for about 15 years before we bought it. Okay. And so the soil was really rich because it used to be an apple orchard. Mm. And so for 15 years, you had layers and layers of apples that fell on the ground and just rotted there. Wow. And so it made it for an extremely fertile ground. And so it was not. It was. It was very common to see us pull out like four pound carrots and like eight pound beets, massive, <laughs> massive. Eight that, pound beets. Yeah, like we would go to the market and people would take pictures because they're so big, right? That's and hilarious. then and that's what I learned is that the more nutritious the soil, the bigger the production you get out of the same land. And then, but then you go to the store right now and you get like baby carrots because you can't grow them any bigger, right? Like,
0: right. So isn't there something <laughs> like? Isn't that kind of a thing like you can't, you can, is that monocropping? Like don't you have to kind of cycle through what you're growing in the soil to keep it?
1: It's getting more common now. From last time I heard about it, mm-hmm. it's getting more common where a lot of farmers will actually have this cycle of switching the crop. Okay. And so it's helping, but we produce so much all the time that it's it's hard to keep up, right? Like it's, Right.
0: That seems, and, so, and that's just talking about produce. Like we could, if you want, talk about producing meat to feed 7 billion people and
1: I know. I don't know how that works. That was the thing. I never. Oh, I don't. Our, our neighbor had a cattle farm, but it was like the old school, where the cattle actually walk around. And oh, really? Yeah. So it was. It wasn't like it is nowadays, it where it's all caged. I guess I don't know how it
0: works. <laughs> I, I don't know either. Part of me. Well, it's that we were talking about when when you when you work for somebody, you're kind of alienated from your work. But here, what are you're alienated from your food supply, living in yeah. the city. Like I just. I take okay, I can buy a club pack of chicken breasts and not think about the horrible life that those chickens probably had.
1: <laughs> yeah, I heard it takes them like what forty days nowadays to grow chicken or something like that, or a hundred days or something crazy like that. I like guess
0: <laughs> You know. And here you
1: are biting into a chicken breast. Going, mm, this is so good. This is so good. Mwah.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> but so, but I personally, I don't think about it because I'm I'm two hundred and thirty five pounds. I have to eat a lot or I I will die. <laughs> so I don't think about it, but. Maybe I should, you know. Maybe if I wasn't such a cheap ass, I could afford to buy like organic, free-range <laughs> chicken. But I don't know.
1: <laughs> that's up on scale right there. It
0: is. It is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I don't know.
1: I'm not familiar how it works, though. So that's the thing. Sure. But I know there is a big disconnection. Like a lot of people go to the store to buy something, not knowing that. And then, mm-hmm. but uh, how do you fix that? How, where do you start? Like, <laughs> I, I,
0: I don't. I don't. Well, I think maybe it's something like I, I was actually I was talking to Jeff. Jeff Marin from Mr. Social a few weeks ago, and he was, we, we were suggesting, well, I suggested, I don't know what he thought, but maybe it is going back, maybe it would be going back to living on the land in small tribes, you know, maybe we've just gotten too big now where we're making too much of a mess to keep ourselves going.
1: Well, there's a movement that's been happening in the last decade or so that's growing now, and it's a lot of, um, be able to grow food in your house. Okay. And I, I talked to this guy, and I have to find his number again, but sure. he came up with a system where it's like um, a big dresser with drawers. Okay. And when you open a drawer, you roll in a carpet of soil that has seeds in it, and you close it, and the thing is like a fridge. It's hooked up to water, okay. and you punch in what it is. You put in carrots, tomatoes, and it's going to go through the cycle of lighting, heat, and everything, and water to grow that specific thing you put in there. Wow. And when it's ready, you open the drawer, and you pick it.
0: That's incredible.
1: And it's got like four drawers, four or five drawers, and you can put it in your house and you can grow fresh stuff in your house. And I've noticed that I talked to two people, one that does it for in-house mm-hmm. and a second person that's getting investment to do it in warehousing instead. So they have mass producing. Okay. So I think there's a movement where people are trying to go back to the land, but doing with the nowadays tech to be able to actually produce the same amount, right? So I don't know. We'll see how that goes.
0: Well, hey. I knew a guy that used to grow plants in a closet, but it was different, different kind of plant. Yeah, yeah. it was legal,
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: no doubt. Grow it in the backyard.
1: Yeah, no. Well, we have a big plant now in uh Was it in by the airport? That's big.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Every man. time you drive to Leduc, you smell it.
0: <laughs> I know. There's that section of the highway where it's like Jesus. I'm I'm high, just going I down know. the road like,
1: here. The, my drug was like, man, the cells and Cheetos when I went through the roof in that town. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I wonder though, I, I, don't know, I, as far as marijuana, like I did it a lot when I was younger and right when it turned legal is actually when I started really just, I eliminated it from my life totally. Oh really? Huh? Yeah. So
1: I, I, yeah, I never, what well, I did when I was a kid and mm-hmm. uh, I was a troublemaker with drugs and alcohol, sure. but I've seen, I got fortunate to be around people that I don't know, fortunate it might not be the right word, but I've been around people who smoke pot for a long time. Mm-hmm. I've known people who smoke pot every day for 10, 15 years mm-hmm. and then it affects people. And I think people don't want to admit it. I've seen that people are way more mellow than they should be after they've done <laughs> for so long. Like, there's things that they don't react to. You're like, dude, that 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 <laughs> you should have reacted to that a little bit, right? But then I found that they become a bit more skeptical about things. Like, huh. I found most of them were a little bit more prone to jump to this conspiracy theory than just what it was.
0: Sure, <laughs> sure. Not
1: sure. to the extreme, but there was all these hints of it. Like, uh, there'd be uh, way more... Um, like, if you tell me you came back from the city and you lived there, they will be a bit skeptical about you. And you're like, well, they didn't plant any chips inside me or <laughs> anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, how do you know that? But man. that's what I
1: found. Like, it does have grow this sense of skepticism to people who do it a lot. There's an effect. It's kind of like people drink a lot. You can see it on them after a while.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I found that from what I've witnessed being around it as a kid is that people do it for a long time. And there's a similar effect where it just affects you after a while.
0: Yeah, it kind of – I think they say with, with with alcohol for sure, like, it hardens the, the- – the, the brain, it actually hardens the neural pathways in the brain. So you're, I guess you'd be less, li- I'm not a doctor, obviously, but <laughs> you're less likely to be able to be open-minded, you're, to grow. To, you're just kind of yeah. in your set set pathways. I could be wrong about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess thought makes you too much open-minded. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe
0: it's, di- yeah, it's the opposite there.
1: Maybe it's a little too much. Like, okay, take it take it back a notch.
0: <laughs> yeah, And this is when we're growing tomatoes in our dressers. But, you know, some good ideas. <laughs> Some good ideas. Tell that to from. someone 10 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I, I definitely, like I said, like you said too, when I, when I did it when I was younger and I wonder if maybe, I wonder if maybe there, that wasn't a bad idea, you know, when the brain was still developing.
1: <laughs> yeah. To expose it to drugs right away. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't either. done
1: it since cause I don't know. I like having a clear mind. So
0: <laughs> me too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, I put out that post on Instagram a few weeks ago looking for someone to discuss systemic racism. Yes. Yeah, and I've had some, I did one, I did a couple episodes, I guess, touching on that. It's been enlightening for sure. I guess I was surprised, well, I didn't know you at all, so maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but you you, you came out to me and you are like, if you want to talk about it, you let's talk about it. So I guess I'm curious, you see that post and you reach out to me and you, you, you put yourself out there. Is there. <laughs> is there a reason for that? Was there personal experience or
1: is uh, well i've been learning through all the people have been meeting about um like the massive discriminations happening right mm. and how we don't see it and so that's kind of why i reached out because i through this uh, women organization i got to talk to women i talked about a little bit about what they see and the experience they have in the workplace okay. it's interesting because some of the work with a similar work i've done and i had a totally different experience hmm. in uh how it went for me right right and so that's why i kind of I came up with this thing where I found there's a bit of um, a hierarchy to privileges. Okay. So, for example, I don't know if that's going to be good in your podcast, but I found like in Canada, I feel like, for example, a white male with no accent, mm. you're, you have maximum chance of getting the best treatment everywhere you go, right? Mm. So, you have the most privilege. So, you work in a business, people will treat you... Yeah, the chance of being treated better is increased, right? It doesn't mean you're not going to deal with a jerk or anything. Yeah, yes. But then I found that when you when you change that and you say, let's say, like you, like someone like me, for example, I'm white, I'm a male, but I have an accent. Mm-hmm. I found that when I walk in places, people will greet me just fine. But then when I start speaking, more times than not, there's people that would change their attitude because like, oh, that's a French guy, right? Like,
0: Interesting. And, how, and did so, they, how does their attitude change?
1: Uh, it would be in a way that it's... Um, not always as friendly, but let's say the service is right down to the minimum that they have to give. <laughs> oh, jeez. Right? Okay. Like it's okay. by the, more, more by the book. I think like what it does is when you're like a white guy and you don't have an accent, you, the book doesn't apply to you as much when it comes to how people treat you. So the mm-hmm. people go the extra mile more. It doesn't mean that it's 100% of the time, right? That's what I found. So I found like, now if you take, let's say, a woman who's white and maybe doesn't have an accent, the mm-hmm. fact that she's a woman is affecting her, right? She walks into a business, and the person behind the counter, well, has a choice to either do what a lot of guys do they look at her physically and sexualize her instead of treating her a customer—and mm-hmm. so the interaction doesn't go the way it's supposed to go, right? And this woman walks out frustrated, like, "Oh, there are a bunch of jerks in there, right?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, and then, what if you have like even like someone who's not white, right, and has an accent and walks into a business? Then mm-hmm. their their treatment, the the chance of it drops quite a bit more, right? Because now you get judged right away by your look, right there. Mm-hmm. No, that's and so. That's what I came up with my little hierarchy of, and so that's the thing. So now, when you when you look at hiring people, when you look at people in the environment, and we apply that to it, you get to see why you get a lot more white guys that will get a job more than, let's say, women or something like that. And it's a lot to do with, first of all, a lot of people are being hired by a guy. Yeah, <laughs> like, Yep. Yeah. And so, if you're a guy interviewing another guy, usually you go back to because I've been, I've never got to hire people, but I got to be in interviews because let's say where I work, people hire people to work for me.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And so I got to see the interview, and I got to see differences that I don't know at the time I didn't know there were until I got exposed to those organizations that pointed out, and I look back and go, oh wow, like I did not know. And you get to see like the guys who come back to me and say, oh, I met this guy. And then uh, he's going to be a great fit for the team because he has this, that, he went to this school, he went to that, right? Mm-hmm. But then when the guy would come back from interviewing a woman, it was not, not a talk like that at all. It was more about the way she looked or where she's been or stuff like that. It had nothing to do. And you're thinking, oh well, what was that? right there, she lost a chance of having a job. Not because she, like, her resume was probably fantastic, but mm-hmm. the guy doing the interview behind the doors did not look at it the way she would have, right?
0: Right. I think, the ter- so, I think the term they use for that is imp- Implicit or unconscious bias, you know, where it's I didn't like, do you know that term? <laughs> that's the word, man. And like, I'm trying to get through all this stuff because I, I don't necessarily, I'm trying to make sense of it for myself. And what you're saying is very valid, I think, because you've experienced it in your own life. There's, so when we talk about implicit bias, it's like me hearing your French accent suddenly. I maybe without even realizing it, I want to talk to you less because. I don't know if you understand me. I don't know if I understand even what you're saying. So let's just strip down to yeah. business. Now I'm
1: talking louder. I found people would talk louder to me. Oh, really?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm <I'd be> like, <laughs> okay. okay, I have an accent, but my ears don't, yeah. <laughs> don't hear French. they just here. <laughs> that's
0: that's weird. So, I, I, I talked to um, a girl the other day on the phone to get ready for an episode, and she told me a story where her mom got in a car accident, and her mom's Filipino but speaks perfect English, and the cop is like ma'am do you understand me it's like <laughs> see right there i've been in canada for f- 30 friggin years buddy i know what you're saying but <laughs> that cop this is this is where systemic racism begins to arise as a concept that's like has that cop been told by his superiors if you see a filipino looking woman she doesn't know how to speak english talk slowly or is it a personal implicit bias where he's like he sees her And so he's going to deal with her that way. I I don't know. And maybe it doesn't even matter.
1: I think it's more of a group thing. It's not spoken. No one says it. But at the same time, you see someone do it, right? And uh, if you don't know any better, Mm. there's a good chance you're going to duplicate that. And I think that's where it comes from. Racism is not taught. It's duplicated. It's not something that... Mm. I don't think it's taught. Like, I don't, I've never been around people that want to teach wow. me racism. But, so I think it's duplicated. It's not something that's taught, right? I grew up, fortunately, my mom was, uh, when I was a kid, her strongest punishment we got was, was for being racist. Like It doesn't matter what we did, we got punished. But racism was the highest punishment we got. Huh. And, uh, and I got to learn a lot about it as a kid because in France, there was just like in the US in the 90s, it was a lot of conflict. And um, when I was a kid, I remember there was this time where I was walking home and I got jumped by three kids. Okay. And, uh, I, and then, of course, it was three black kids. And they beat me up, not because of me, but because I was a white guy. Mm-hmm. And they were frustrated with what was going on because the news were all over. very similar to what's, what happened last year. And so I got beat up. And then I remember at the end when the guy literally spied in my face and said, it's a disgrace that you wear Martin Luther King's name. And he mm-hmm. walked away, right? Yeah. And that guy did not know that that would shock me because I didn't know who that guy was. I'm like, who's Martin Luther King? So I came home. And Instead of being even like being racist towards those guys, no, my first question to my mom, who was freaking out I was all beat up, You're right? Was who's Martin Luther King because <laughs> I got beat up because of him, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah? I have a word, I have a bone to pick with that guy, I think, <laughs> yeah.
1: And then, uh, and my mom, surprisingly, her answer at the time I thought it was a normal answer, but she said, He's the one who gave us civilian rights, mm. civil rights, mm-hmm. she didn't say. She said us and we're a white family, but she said us, right? Hmm. And at the time I'm like, oh great, that guy's really cool, right? Like I just I started digging into his life and that was a really cool guy. But when I came back to Canada, I find that when I was in the US talking about Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. a lot of people would say oh, he did lots for his people. Hmm. And I thought I was interesting in what choice of word because here is a guy that really changed the way US is. Well, hope so last year proved otherwise. Well. But uh, but yeah, but my mom being white taught me that Martin Luther King changed our rights all of us and then when i was in u.s a lot of people like I was from texas but Mm -hmm. not to judge texas but the guy's like oh he lost for his people Mm -hmm. instead of saying for us together and that's why i started noticing hints of how people think and
0: interesting Uh, why did they say that to you like did you why did they say it's a disgrace that you wear martin luther king's name like did you have a shirt no, on. I think
1: it, was, it wasn't to do, anything to do with me. It was the fact that the times at the time were uh, very uh-huh. conflicting. The cops, the police were the same way in France. They would do a lot more arrests towards black people than white people. Hmm. And there was lots of protests going on. It was a mix of major protest, protests going on. And so I think I just, three kids were just fed up and hmm. I was there. That's it. And but, so they knew me from school. Oh. Because we went to the same school. Okay. And that's how they knew my name. But after that, they didn't pick on me specifically for me. That was just because the heat of the moment and what's going on. Right. And then, uh, and that would have been a great ground for me to become, to grow up and be racist. But it did the opposite (laughs) because I'm like, who's Martin Luther King? And then now, and now I'm a big avid. Like I read his autobiography Mm -hmm. and all this. And then that really opened my eyes to uh, how the world lives and how being white, you experience the society one way. Mm -hmm. And then if you're not, it's actually a very different experience. And yet, it's the same area. Like we walk the same streets, all of us, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to put a stop to like to be able to stop all this um, racism and all this discrimination and I think it's because people should be more talking about this stuff. What's going on, it's an example I use all the time, is how uh, I this business I worked for that said, oh, we want to increase how many women work for us because, you know, it look good for the company, right? Okay. But a bunch of men would decide that, right? <laughs> a bunch of men would decide what would be good for women, right? Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, wait, that—that's what's been going wrong the whole time. Yeah,
0: that's the whole problem, right there. <laughs> yeah. That you want a And bunch. so, but then,
1: and so, women would talk with each other on what needs to change. Men talks with each other when it's to change. But what's lacking is actually men and women coming to the same table mm-hmm. and talking together on what needs to change. And that's not just men and women; it's for everything, for racing, for everything. Yes. So it seems like all the movements we have gets us right to the table, but nobody wants to have the seat and have a conversation and say, okay what do we need to change and actually be able to interact with it and not be offended when someone says, well, okay, you've been doing this to me and that that's really bad for this. Right. And the first reaction someone has when they're accused is say, Oh, that's not true. But and so
0: that's oh. the conversation
1: is to happen. It's not happening. Right.
0: <laughs> Martin. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. I, no, there's a lot there. There's, some... <laughs> it's funny because like, yeah, you say, Oh, a bunch of men will, a group of men want to hire a bunch of women because it looks good for the company. It's like, why wouldn't you just want to hire the right people for the job?
1: Right. That's exactly right. But then what happens is that when you look at when someone looks at a resume, let's let's take an example. You have a woman's resume and a man's resume, mm-hmm. and they're very strong and similar. They go to the schools you're looking for for them to go to. They got the experience you want to. Mm-hmm. But what people don't see in this resume as much as they're equal is that women have to work a lot more, a lot harder than men to get to the same titles in life as men. And so if you have two very similar resumes, technically, if you want a harder working person, well, the woman would be the one to pick because Mm -hmm. she had to work a lot harder to get the same similar titles and promotions. How do you
0: figure that? Like a woman, just because a woman has to work harder to get the same titles because she's not taken seriously the same way or...
1: Uh, I would think so. I think it's because the people they work for, it, it's it really at the end, it's who you work for, right? You can work for someone who doesn't discriminate and then, mm. yeah, you're going to be in a more equal environment or you can work for someone who tends to sexualize women a lot more sure. and then you don't get a chance because I find that women, when they go to work, they always kind of dress the same because if they dress differently, every man will point it out that day, right? And then it's too bad because I think women should be free to wear Or to put their hair the way they want it on that day at work or what they want to wear, right? Because that makes them confident for that to get through that day. And so, but most women you talk to, they'll tell you that if they change their hair just a bit, every guy's going to comment on it, right? And so you get that pressure, right?
0: Yes. No, and I've heard that too from my last podcast, or yeah, with uh, a woman was saying, you know, I have to put more effort into my looks every day to go to work than you do. It's like, well, I can't really dispute that, but also do you like isn't is there a bare minimum that women could could do looks wise and now here i'm getting into some <laughs> but i want to make sure i'm saying what i'm what i mean here it's like it's probably true but they've yeah, but also, they've also internalized that forward. into themselves where it's like i have to look as beautiful as possible
1: but i think men puts that pressure on right like if you go to a job where you have to do that it's probably because then the boss the conversation should be with the environment and the boss mm-hmm. and people are in that are the influencers over there, on right. You know, there's a, a feeling,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's an argument About, out there that sorry. <laughs> uh, this is she the problem know. with Zoom, man. I'm, I'm, yeah, no. I'm going to start doing these in person. I think now that things seem to be easing up a little bit. Yeah, but uh, there's an argument, and I, I don't believe this, but I've heard it. And tell me what you think. That men and women, for the most part, just shouldn't work together because it's a, it, because of what our number one, what our sort of number one common ground between the sexes is, is is a sexual thing i disagree with that
1: i i, I got to work <laughs> i got to work in the MA with women uh-huh. and i got a lot of different jobs with women and i found that the areas where i worked with it was women was always a better place to work than was just men it was usually more professional uh everything that went around whatever you had to do was more fluid in conversation you still had your your frictions all the time let's common workplace with personalities, but mm-hmm. I found it was strictly men. It was just uh, a lot of put-downs, demeaning. If a woman was around, it was all, all talking about her instead of the job. And then, But I found when women are mixed with men, then there was no such conversation. There wasn't a lot less sexualizing because now, well, the person that you're working with, if she's not doing her job, you can't do your job, right? And so now you can't be you can't be saying the things you would say behind doors anymore because, well, that's gonna affect you directly, right? Mm. And so I found that working with women, and there's no difference between men and women when it comes to work because I, I served under women in the army, and then to be honest, some of them could really kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> and as a oh, thing, like I don't, there's no, um, I don't know, there's no, there's this society that tells us that man is stronger, and then, mm. but at the end of the day, the it has nothing to compare it to because at the end it's the work you do dictate yes. the strengths you need and not the gender you have to do it with, right? Like
0: well said, man. That was a great <laughs> great great job dealing with that ridiculous idea I decided to throw at you.
1: I think movies put out in us. Movies and T V shows sexualize women a lot. Mm-hmm. And so the guy's gonna have like the action figure guy's gonna have all this armor and this gear and his guns and all this. And then if, if it's a woman as a hero well, she doesn't wear anything. Like she goes through the same scenario as the guy but she's wearing pretty much nothing. Like Like Superman is fully dressed and then Wonder Woman is wearing nothing. Yeah, they both get into fights, right?
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. That's a great point. And so that's a whole other road for maybe another time. But I think what you're hitting on is kind of what I believe is like when you start judging people by by those characteristics, gender, race, you are actually, you're doing them a disservice. You know, it's like, yes, we all have to come to the table and maybe we should just stop talking about those characteristics just for now and then have the discussion about what is it gonna to take to improve things. Not because you're not here because you're black or white or man or woman. You're here because you're human and we need to obviously things need to change.
1: Well yeah, yeah. If you read our constitution, it says human rights, not not a specific thing, right? Like so that to me as anybody that like, my, my philosophy is that I treat you as Canadian. Doesn't matter who you are. Mm. You can be a tourist element for the first time. I'm gonna treat you just as Canadian because I'm not uh, who am I to judge you on who you really are? Like, So at the end of the day, I don't know if you're having a good day or bad day. I know nothing about you. Mm-hmm. So you know what? I'm going to be respectful to you. Uh, I'd love to say I love respect back from you, but I don't know what you're having. So I'll do that to you. If I don't get it back, then I'm not going to be offended because we all have good days, bad days. Mm-hmm. And so that's my thing. I'm going to be curious to you and I'll deal with you, Like even if it's like going to get a coffee shop or anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then at the end, I don't think like it's... Because I know it's getting out of hand, right? You can hear a lot of the comments. People say like, yeah. the biggest one I've heard a few years ago was about Tim Hortons, and people were upset because they hire people from the Philippines to work at Tim Hortons. And my comeback to that was, "Well, do you want to work at Tim Hortons?" Right, right. Most of them said, "No." I'm like, "Well, if you don't want to work there, someone has to work there. Who's going to make a coffee?" So
0: yeah, what the hell's the problem? Yeah,
1: like the thing is, like at the end, you're still about to work stuff. Like its jobs are not going away. So if you want mm-hmm. to be racist towards someone doing that job, then why don't you do it then, right? Like, yeah. then most people don't want to do that. And so there you have, then you bust racism right there.
0: <laughs> nice job. Yeah, I, you know what's funny is we, we're having this conversation and, okay, sure, it's not lost on me. It's it's two white guys, you know, you <laughs> yeah. want to, you know, like you say, you may have one more as, you know, they use the term intersectionality. So you, you have that accent, you have that uh, non, non-Anglo identity that maybe gives you an extra bit of trouble from time to time, more so than I have. Even though I, I don't think I'm that great of a speaker. My, I have no <laughs> accent. <laughs> but when you start to dig down, and we've been talking for over an hour now, and we're getting to the sort of the personal and the, and the nuances of everything, it's like people are generally pretty reasonable if they just get the time to fully think it out. But
1: Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree with that, yeah.
0: And so with Twitter or social media generally or, or the news media – All the ideas have to get compacted into small bytes, and it's easier.
1: Well, yeah, like 140 characters, right? And so now you have to be, yeah, so now you can no longer expand an idea, but you have to get just the core of it. And Mm -hmm. that's usually pretty extreme, right? Whatever you're saying, even though I'm sure the intention originally wasn't there. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to do that, then at the end, the intention is there because you're shrinking into just that, right? Right.
0: Right, so, And
1: that's where it ties back to me and saying that businesses can do a big help because let's say you and I run businesses and we're hoping to grow and hire people and all this. Mm-hmm. And because of our understanding of things now, then they can help us when we hire people to actually hire properly and to be able to pass on this kind of understanding and learn from the people we hire and make it a better workplace. And that seeps into people's lives because then people that work for you, they go home every day, right? Mm-hmm. And so that slowly spreads into the, into the community. And so that's the way I look at businesses. It's a good way to... To be able to pass on all of this, and mm-hmm. but it's a 2 sword, story—do do it for good or bad.
0: Right? Well, that's that's kind of well. That's the thing is, small businesses can do that, right? My feeling is like changing the world, changing global, out of the question, not going to happen. But we can help the neighborhood, so to speak. You know, you and I could that's build right. our businesses and employ a few people, maybe, and 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 improve our communities. Do you have a sense of what? what it might take to make some larger scale changes to, to these problems or or, or do you, uh, are you more with that just micro smaller immediate changes?
1: Well I think the small one eventually would topple into the bigger ones because sure. then you get like look right now is becoming a small hub of like the new Silicon Valley you get so many investments and in tech companies coming in nowadays mm. and so hopefully people get to grow up with that mentality and culture and then grow to a billion dollar company but somehow keep that I guess that's the key right and, I'm a big fan of uh, Richard Branson. Okay he's not perfect, but he does try to put into all the business he owns that kind of thinking. And so that kind of um mm-hmm. so he's really good. It's very liberal. People paid him as liberal because he's doing all that. Right. But that's what he's trying to do. And so I mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a good thing. I don't know how the in depth of how much he does it. So if someone out there is like, Oh, it's not true he hates people, I'm like, <laughs> Oh great, but but from what I've read from him and what I've seen him do, that's what I saw, that he's really trying to not just run a business to make a profit, but to also make a difference. And so it's Kind of cool to see that someone like him
0: was like way up there in
1: the business of the world to actually think about that, so
0: right, no doubt. And he would have started that company from the ground up, right?
1: Uh, For at sure. the beginning, yeah, nowadays he buys
0: them out, sure, but yeah. uh, right,
1: because he owns like over a thousand businesses now, that's companies. Really? But
0: I haven't heard that's what he that does lately, it's all about Elon no? these days.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it's, you know, it's new and flashy, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because, what's his name? Uh, Richard Branson managed to send a rocket in space using uh, helium and uh, rubber as a fuel. Really? Everybody made fun of him, but <laughs> it worked. So now he's actually, and then he's recycling his old 747s as launch platforms. So now he hooks up a big rocket to a 747. Okay. Flies it in the sky to 55,000 feet, and then he launched the rocket from there. So it cost... It burns barely any fuel to get to space because you're almost there, and huh. it costs them. I think it costs a million dollars to get like a dozen satellites into space instead of billions. Huh? So and <laughs> right, isn't that crazy? Like, ah, oh, this well. guy's been doing that, and everyone is trying to launch big rockets, and he's using a seven forty-seven to get. He's got a bunch of satellites in space right now. Because
0: oh, so a seven forty-seven just on regular jet fuel will get up to fifty-five thousand yeah. feet, and then the rocket launches off of that.
1: That's right. And so it starts, starts to it's attached through the wings, like just like a rocket of a, <laughs> a fighter jet, just bigger on the wing, in between the engines. Okay. You gotta Google it; it's priceless. That and then it drops and launches into the space. My God! And they got people into space that way too. They're looking to uh, start a business where you can pay a ticket, right? And they put you into a thing, so the airplane gets you at fifty-five thousand feet, and the shuttle drops mm-hmm. and then launches into space. And so they're making. They got two tests going that went very successfully. Okay. And so now they're making a shuttle that can actually seat passengers in it, and so you can pay and go to
0: space. (laughs) Hey, so would you do it if you had the money? Would you go to space?
1: Probably, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like I've been skydiving and stuff before. Oh, you have. Yeah. Right on. So I would do this kind of stuff. My wife wouldn't appreciate it because she doesn't like when I do that.
0: (laughs) No, you're putting everything at risk when you go jumping out of planes like that.
1: Yeah, but you know, it's. Would you? It was fun.
0: Would you live on Mars? Would you go and be like colonize Mars?
1: No. No, no. That'd be too restrictive because all the things you would have to do. I like to open the front door and just walk out. Yeah,
0: fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> not, you're not quite as free on Mars, I guess, until they terraform it or whatever.
1: I, I guess, yeah. yeah. We'll see how that goes.
0: No doubt. Martin, let's wrap it up. Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to hire you or see your work?
1: Oh, it's pretty easy. Just reach for me on either Facebook, Instagram, DroneBuzz, or just say martin at and then you'll get get to me right away that way
0: beautiful martin at dronebuzz.ca thanks for your time martin that was awesome
1: well thank you patrick thank you very much for the opportunity
0: thank you for listening to the north bank media podcast if you enjoy this conversation please subscribe on youtube and give us a like if you're listening on apple podcasts please subscribe as well and leave a five-star review also please feel free to share these conversations with friends family colleagues co-workers on any platform